Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 138, and today we'll be chatting with Sofia Dominguez, the CEO and co-founder of Surf, the best way to search and discover VR content on the web. Sophia learned how to be a front-end developer after asking for an internship with a local company. From there, she developed a passion for product and startups. After graduating, Sophia went to San Francisco and fell in love with VR. Wanting to spend more time around this emerging technology, she ended up helping to organize one of the first conferences on wearable technologies. After that conference, Sophia got a Google Glass and decided to travel the world to see how people in other countries would react to this emerging technology. She raised some money to make the project a reality and ended up visiting countries like Spain, France, England, Germany, India, and more, before ending up back at CES to cap off her trip. Sophia continued to build her career in tech by joining a startup called Context Labs, where she helped launch several different products. Following this experience, Sophia launched All Things VR, a go-to newsletter for VR enthusiasts. She also continued to explore VR by joining the team at Rothenberg Ventures, now Frontier Tech Ventures, as an entrepreneur in residence, before going on to launch and focus on her current startup, Surf. Sophia joins us to share her story, how she got into startups, what it was like organizing a Google Glass trip around the world, how she approaches product management, why she's so excited about VR, what it's been like working on Surf, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start Drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Sophia. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on and to get to hear, you know, about your story, the things you've been up to and what it's like, you know, building surf. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? I grew up in Miami and uh, moved to New York when I went to NYU um, and left once to San Francisco, actually twice to San Francisco, but always come back to New York. That's awesome. So what did you study during that time? Yeah, so I went to Gallatin, which is the School of Individualized Study. And so you get to make your own major. Um, I studied how technology impacts human interaction, um, which I think falls pretty well in line with VR and AR and all those things. That's really cool. What what kind of drew you to to want to study that, or like how did you figure out that that's that that's where you had like some interest? Yeah. Um, so I came to NYU wanting to study Chinese studies and Chinese, and I think I had some interest in marketing or tech or something something related. But after I went to China, I realized I didn't want to live there and therefore didn't really want to pursue. Like I knew that the only way I would really learn Chinese is if I lived there. And uh, at the same time, kind of had felt very attracted to technology and reached out to this company. It was my first internship and I cold emailed them and I was like, hey, I want to learn how to be a front end developer. And they responded within, I don't know, a couple of days. And then I interviewed with them. I had zero tech skills, but um, Matt Walters, who was my the CTO of the company and also my boss, you know, helped me learn Node and HTML, CSS, and kind of helped them all summer with building their website and also got to help on the product side. Through that, really learned that I love product and I loved um, designing out what the front end would look like. Maybe not necessarily building it myself, but like being able to program enough to get ideas across. Then through that, 
uh, I don't know. I, I like never turned back. I never, I, I knew I wanted to do tech and like had multiple other internships after that before graduating. That's really, really cool. And were there any other entrepreneurs like in your family or anybody else involved in tech? Or was that really the pivotal moment that really changed everything for you? Yeah, um, no one's involved in tech, but um, I grew up with a family business. So it was my uncle, my mom and my stepdad. Um, they started it basically out of my basement. Um, my uncle was living there. He was a CEO and it was my stepdad's idea and my mom kind of financed it. And uh, what they did was they trained dogs um, to detect explosives and bombs in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and then they worked on that for about 10 years. I uh, grew the company to about a thousand people. And my stepdad's like a serial entrepreneur. And so I always grew up knowing that I wanted my own business and kind of being influenced by that. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. What a great story. And so you mentioned that, you know, you had a few other internships after that first one. Um, but but how did you begin your career in tech after that? I guess like what were some of the first few jobs you ended up having? I got really interested in big data because I was writing my thesis around big data and its effects on privacy, more specifically related to VR and AR. And so I wanted to have a better technical understanding of what big data actually meant. So I interned at this company called Mortar Data um, that was empowering people, like smaller businesses, to run their own uh, big data or like Hadoop jobs on their technology. So it was like SaaS for a data scientist. And through that, realized I really like working with technical teams, but still was unsure what I really wanted to do. So um, after I graduated, ended up going to San Francisco for like three different interviews. One of them happened to be, uh, at the time, the company is called Stained Glass Labs, uh, run by Reg Snodgrass. And now it's called um, like ReadWrite Labs. Anyways, got there. They were putting on together the first wearable technology conference. And I believe it was not my first meeting, but my second meeting that I had with them that I then saw my first VR headset, which happened to be the Avagon Glyph. For whatever reason, they were demoing it um, at uh, Reg's house, which is where everyone was working. And and I was blown away and knew that I wanted to just be around this technology more. Or like, I didn't really want to leave. And so Reg asked if I could stay until after the conference. So ended up just like never going, not going back to New York for about two months and prepped for the first wearable technology conference. Put that on about a week later, went back to New York. I was supposed to move to San Francisco and realized I couldn't do it. <laughs> In this time period, got Google Glass. And that was all the money that I had at the time. And so once I spent the money on Google Glass, I realized I needed to come up with some sort of project in order to like, you know, validate why I have Google Glass. Otherwise, it was just going to be like a toy. So quickly realized that nobody had ever traveled the world with Google Glass to document how people Basically, everyone in the U.S. was super negative about Google Glass, and I wanted to prove that people abroad could be excited by it if they weren't tainted by this, like, negative lens. Um, and so I pitched it to, like, I sent the deck to around, like, 30 different brands and people. And within a few days, uh, the 3% Conference, which is an organization run by women uh, to support women in advertising, got back to me and said that they would like to fully sponsor the trip. And about, you know, a week and a half later, I was starting traveling this with Google Glass. That's really cool. And so chatting about that trip a little bit more, like how far, you know, how many countries did you see? And what was it like, I guess, pitching that project to different people? Yeah, I mean, so pitching the project was kind of easy. I put together a deck over the a weekend. And I was just like, the thesis was Google Glass is the first wearable um, competing device, essentially. And there needs to be some more documentation around this. 
people in the U.S. like aren't really excited by it or it just has like a really negative mindset. So if we went abroad and like could bring to light the almost beauty in it and like why would like a brand would want to be associated with that because um, it's, it's like putting new technology um, at the forefront, like all they have to do is basically say that it was sponsored by whatever brand. Um, so a lot of people were really intrigued. It was just a matter of like, how did it fit into their brand? And I think the 3% conference, it was just a really good fit because they were just starting at the time. They like try and do things to empower women. And so that just ended up working out much easier than most other things that I've done in my life. But I felt pretty lucky that I was able to do that. Cool. Yeah. And what were some of the places that you, you, know, you visited and what was like the reception, I guess, to that type of technology uh, abroad? So went to Madrid, Barcelona, Paris, London, Berlin, Dubai, Mumbai, Goa, and then ended up at CES in Las Vegas. In Europe, people in Paris were super intrigued. I would say in Madrid, Barcelona, people were just like, wow, like I, the, I guess the king of Spain had just worn Google Glass on TV. So that's how people knew it. And that was the only reference that they had had. And so for them, it was like almost this like celebrity status or like they were just super intrigued. They wanted to know more. They didn't know that they could even try it. So you got like a lot of really great reactions from people. Paris, similarly, people were just uh, like I ended up going to some like tech event and people there was like 100 people who lined up to try it. It was, it was really crazy. And then in Berlin, obviously, people were just more talking about privacy and um, in Dubai, it was funny, like people just didn't even care. They were just like there to take pictures. Um, and then when I did talk to people, they were just like, oh, cool, like you can use it to take pictures. And that's like the only thing that they were interested in, which made sense for the city itself. And then um, in India was probably the most ins inspiring. People saw it and they wanted to figure out how to use it for their daily lives. People were talking about, um, you know, taking videos, streets, uploading that to Google Maps, because a lot of places there don't necessarily have addresses. So um, like if someone's sending the mail, it's very complicated. They're like, oh, it's in this town next to, I don't know, this like gas station with the red door. And that's how they strip a lot of different things, which makes it obviously very complicated. And so and then. There are other tools that they wanted to use it for, and that was the most inspiring place for Google Glass. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like an amazing like journey and trip and, and just experience overall. Um, and, I, and I guess kind of related to that and, and the conference that you helped organize, like what was it about wearables at, at that particular time? Like as the Google Glass is, is being introduced as the first really like computing device that, that fits in, in that kind of profile, what was that whole experience like for you? Uh, and, and, you know, what got you so excited about it? There's this book called Feed by M.T. Anderson um, that I read when I was 13. It talks about a world in which everyone has, we have a chip in our bodies, everything is AR and VR, but we don't call it that because it's just normal. But advertising agencies control our minds, right? So everything we do is in the feed, but the feed is not on our phones. The feed is like within our minds. And so like, it's, it's almost like a metaphor for manipulation. And when I read it, I freaked out knowingly that I felt like this was a feature that we were moving towards uh, at the time, like had a sidekick. So um, was already like on aim all the time, but it was nothing like there was no Facebook, Twitter and all of the feeds that, you know, now somewhat run our lives. And um, when I started to do write my thesis, I was drawn back to like what the visuals were in the book. And it reminded me like, the, a mobile phone is only a stepping stone to whatever future generation of technology is. And I knew that I wanted to work on that. And so kind of going to stained glass labs, 
I just, it felt right. Like I was like being presented with all the technology that felt really futuristic. Um, I might've not been quite there yet, but I was really intrigued to learn like, what is this next generation of technology? And so it's funny now, like people are like VR is early. And now I think back to, you know, 2013 and I was like, that was early. Yeah, absolutely. And it's moving so quickly too. Like just one, just, just a period of 12 months, how much changes and how much better it gets. It's, it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, for sure. So after that experience, you ended up having a chance to join a startup called Context Labs, where you had the opportunity to work on a bunch of different things and ship different products. So first off, can you tell us a little bit more about Context Labs and how you created the opportunity to join the team there? I guess the story for me joining Context, I had met with Chris Paik from Thrive Capital over the summer b- before I moved to San Francisco. And we, had, we were having a really long conversation. He was just like, you need to do product stuff. Like, you have a, a mind for it. You should do product. And I was like, cool. Like, I'm going to go to San Francisco, see, you know, kind of what happens. Then I ended up staying there for quite a few months. So when I came back, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in New York. And I like happened to run into him at a restaurant and he showed me this app that was called Context. Um, and it was kind of, it was like face-to-face messaging. Uh, it was similar to Snapchat, but like just the mechanics were different. I, I just really liked the product and the design. That he added me to the beta and started testing it with a few friends. And there was a bunch of things I didn't like about the product. And so I started messaging the founder, like, hey, these are all the things like wrong with your product. And like, we kind of got into an argument. And then I told Chris about like me getting into an argument with the founder. And I was like, this is not cool. Like someone who's doing product stuff should just like be more receptive. And then Chris forwarded it to Ben. And then Ben emailed me. And then we ended up meeting and... Like, at first, he definitely hated me because I was just, like, the girl that told his investor that, like, he wasn't being very nice or, like, he wasn't being very receptive to feedback. And then by the end of the conversation, it was just like, hey, I really want to work for you. Um, Like, I think that we could do cool stuff together. He was the CEO, but he was super technical. And so, like, wanted, A, only wanted to bring on an engineer. Uh, So I somehow convinced him to bring me on and the fact that I wasn't an engineer that took some, like I went to my, I went through my Google Glass trip, came back, we had a conversation and he was like, cool, can you start next week? When I started, I think it was like day one or two that we were there. He was like, yeah, so context isn't really working out. Like our numbers aren't great. Let's do something else. Um, and so in about two to three weeks, we built FaceFeed, um, which was like an iteration on top of context, which is face-to-face messaging essentially with strangers. And we worked on that for about 10 months ended up shutting it down because it should have become a dating app and both of us didn't want to work on a dating app. Um, although to this day, we still talk about the fact that if we launch it tomorrow, it probably as a dating app, it probably could do pretty well. Then we spent the next six months building a new product about every single month. Um, we did everything from like a food delivery app where I was out delivering food in the middle of the winter, which is pretty awful, to we built this app called No Phone Zone, which actually is still on the App Store. Basically, what it is, is you download the app, and whenever you don't want to be on your phone, it's like a timer. So you select, like you say, like, I'm in the No Phone Zone, and then it auto-tweets the fact that you're in, a non, in the No Phone Zone, and then it's a timer. So then when you finally pick up your phone again, it, like, just basically unlock it. It then auto-tweets how long you were without your phone. And that was the last product that we worked on together. That's crazy. So many different things and obviously an amazing learning experience. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, exhausting and fun. Yeah, for sure. So how did you approach, I guess, building and launching so many different apps? Like, was there a particular framework or thesis related to the type of things that you were creating? Somewhat. Like, 
this is kind of what led me into VR. But when we first started this, the first couple apps were like a food delivery app. And then we did something else. And there's three of us on the team. And like, we weren't really happy with the things that we were doing. Like they were just like kind of knee jerk decisions. And so we were I was like, let's get like a week, a week and a half of research. And so everyone just like did research around like what, what they were really interested in, like what they wanted to do, what they, what we could build, et cetera. Um, and in this time period, I just naturally started to do like research VR. Then I told Ben, like, let's do VR stuff. And he was just like, you're crazy. Like it's super early. This is early 2015. And I was also kind of burnt out of like Every single time that we would launch an app, like I had to reach out to press. I had to be the one posting on Product Hunt, like kind of orchestrating all of it. And I was like, I don't want to have to rely on these different media outlets if I ever launch something in the future. And so kind of all those lessons combined uh, started All Things VR, which is a weekly curated VR newsletter. And did that to highlight all the people who were working in the space and also knowingly down the line, if I ever launched something, I wanted to have like my own outlet, which is kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And before we jump into that and, and kind of like surf what, what you're working on right now, right after Context Labs, you then ended up working with Frontier Tech Ventures uh, as an entrepreneur in residence. So what was it like joining the team there? Yeah, so um, I had left Context sometime in the summer that we dissolved the company more or less and was spending my entire time trying to do like get into VR and for me that meant like working on all things VR and the only thing I knew how to build which is web stuff so like just doing some web VR projects and Dylan Flynn who at the time was the director of investments at Rothenberg contacted me on Twitter and was like what are you doing like do you want to join one of our companies or something along those lines and I was like no I don't want to join a company, but like more than happy to, to talk more about like to just talk to you. And so we got on the phone and then by the end of the conversation, he was like, you should be your entrepreneur in residence and like come move out to San Francisco. You'd get to work with like all these different VR companies and figure out what you wanted to do. And for me, that sounded really perfect because Rothenberg had been the VC who had been, you know, at the front lines investing first in VR. Um, and so everyone in the VR community really looked up to them and um, like just being around that sort of environment was really appealing to me. I think like two weeks later, I moved out to San Francisco and was there for about 11 months. So what was it like being an EIR there and what was the, you know, the role? Yeah, it was really cool. I enjoyed a lot working with all the companies. I started to do a lot of the, like help them on the VC side and that I quickly found that I didn't enjoy as much just because I liked to build stuff and I like to like try different products and not necessarily view it from like an investment standpoint, but view it from a product standpoint. Um, so I can increasingly found myself like working more and more with the founders and like then doing the, like wanting to do the VC side, which kind of speaks to what I'm doing now and like as a founder. And I really learned a lot from all of the people who were working out of Rothenberg, like the river startups. It's crazy to think I get so much feedback now again that, you know, VR is super early right now. But these people were all building companies like 2015 when there were no consumer VR headsets available or like Samsung Gear had just launched. And I think that's like I look up to them a lot and respect them so much for like being that ballsy to like start a company then and a lot of them are still in business which is really inspiring yeah for sure it's really cool and so were there any like insights that you learned from sort of being between the founder and vc role that, that you could share or that you took back and, and are now rolling into your next startup one of the biggest lessons from the vc side are 
what I had to do with investment memos. So like VCs, basically, whenever they're looking at a deal um, or like close to investing in a company, what they do um, or the majority of them is they'll compile an investment memo. And so this has every like information about the company and it's kind of like whichever VC that you're talking to that is then your champion has to then present to like their team. And like a lot of the numbers are around like, okay, these are companies in a similar area who sold at this or who like IPO at this. And so like you, they kind of try and fit you into like, what's the number around this company that they would have to sell for IPO for that would return the fund. And that's really important to VCs. And I didn't fully understand that before, um, like being on that side. And so now starting my own company, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what their investment looks like for me. Or a lot of it um, is like, you need really need to have a champion, someone who like really believes in you in order to convince their team to, to do the deal. Some great insights for, for other people to use as well. Um, so kind of coming back to what we've been talking about, like our just, just peripherally the whole episode, you launched your own startup recently, Surf. So can you tell us more about Surf and what like what it does and what motivated you to launch that? So um, there's an experience section in the All Things VR newsletter, and it's one of the most highly clicked sections. Every single week, I was trying out new types of content apps, trying to find the best content, and was getting like really tired of like crawling the depths of the internet for it. And I was like, there needs to be a better way to do this, in part because everything that we use in our daily lives is like built on recommendation engines. Like, why doesn't that exist for VR? And um, so contacted my now co-founder, Brent, who is a really good friend of mine. I was like, hey, if we index three different sites and created an interface that was like stumble upon a VR uh, and also wanted to do it because we just found that finding VR content was super difficult and there was like all these different sites and it was just like really messy and really difficult for consumers. So we wanted to do something that was really easy that like could be a launching pad for people getting into VR. So we built that and it was it was, a, it was a relatively good demo sometime around April. Like you would just click a category and then boom, you'd just be in VR content. And randomly ended up showing it to the CEO of Giphy. And he was like, okay, what do you envision of the future of this product? And what I said was, I want to be able to be in a headset in almost any application and to say like, I want to see sharks or I want to see a snowman or I want to see Rome. And for the best content to be powered to me seamlessly. And he was like, great, then like, that's a real business, then you're building the future of search and this immersive medium. And so that like, I felt like the original product that we had built had something missing and like explaining what we wanted the product to be in two years, like kind of, you know, brought it all together. And so fast forward about seven months from that point. And yeah, we're building this, the first search and discovery engine for virtual reality content. Uh, what that means is we index all available virtual reality content and surface the best content for consumers. Um, eventually it'll be on a personalized basis, but for now it's just um, like we're showing you the best. Uh, I guess some parallels that I like to draw in terms of thinking about what we are and what we do is like the early days of the internet, um, there was the Yahoo homepage, which broke out like all the websites into different categories and there was always a search bar. So Yahoo had to teach people like, hey, these are the different categories of websites that exist. And if you want to find something, you can probably find it. And so that's what we're doing with VR. Uh, when we launch shortly, there'll be different categories and people can go through the categories and find the best content. Like everything is ranked on the back end. And then uh, eventually when people figure out like what it is exactly that they want to see or feel or experience, um, they can directly search for it. Uh, but we launched with the search bar with that knowledge, but we need to educate people about what good content is first. 
Yeah, for sure. That's such a cool challenge to solve. And so how do you balance, I guess, building a product that, you know, the, the, you see you see what you want it to be in two or five years and, and also then just putting out an MVP? How, how do you balance building that kind of product? Yeah, it's really hard. Like I'm a perfectionist and I think sometimes you just have, like, we haven't shipped right now. Uh, we launched Surf Tabs, which was the first example of using our product. So it powers, every single time that you open a new tab, it powers a new piece of 360 content to your browser. We did that because we were like, what's the easiest low friction way to get people to think about 360 slash VR every single day? And what we realized was like, we look at our, we look at screens all day, which essentially is like kind of similar to what VR AR will be, right? So why not power 360 content to you in that? So we built that, shipped that, and now we're going to be shipping web um, in the coming weeks and then mobile also like a few weeks after that. And so I think at some point it's just knowing like, the product is really good. And whenever we show it to people, they're like blown away at how beautiful the product is and how it works. And I think like day to day, you just get so like you're too close to it. And like you notice all the problems. And so I think showing other people it is really helpful and kind of pushes you to just like, okay, let's ship like it's not going to be perfect, but nothing is ever perfect. But it, it's definitely it's definitely hard and challenge for me, especially. Yeah, absolutely. I love the uh, I love I love the Chrome the Chrome tab product. I use it uh, every yeah. day. You know, you you just open up a new tab and then you see like a different part of the world or something that you weren't expecting, and to just be yeah. able to look at it in three sixty degrees is just you know it's, it's still it's still pretty new and, and mind blowing. Yeah, thank you. That's kind of that's the goal with it, and just like the more people that we can get on the Chrome extension and starting to think about three sixty, then like the more that that can funnel into Surf and like VR in general. For sure, yeah, definitely. And so, what is it about like VR, AR, and and that that type of technology that that you know you're so passionate or, or excited about, especially you know as, as it continues to evolve? And like, where do you see it evolving? I'm really into building out new UIs and like thinking about how people should use things. And I think like so many of the rules have been. I mean, like web is just kind of like standard um, mobile increasingly is like, people always use the bottom bar for like you know on instagram like the tab at the bottom that's like profile home feed or i guess on twitter as well and like i'm just really bored with all of that all of those design choices and i think with vr you have the potential to define like what new ui is and since there are no rules like you can just like go in and do some things and most things will be wrong but you have the chance to try new things and that's really exciting to me uh, i guess from a ui perspective also vr and ar it's just so unknown and unknown really excites me yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And so you mentioned that, you know, besides the the Chrome tab, uh, you guys haven't really you know officially launched the full product. But, you know, what's next for Surf in 2017? What are you guys looking forward to, to being able to do? Yeah, so I guess from a product standpoint, um, we'll be launching web in the coming weeks um, into beta. We'll, it'll be an open beta. So we just want more feedback and trying to like tweak our product. And then we'll also launch on mobile as well. And then from there, we'll start shipping on VR headsets, specifically mobile VR, um, and building out our API to do other um, integrations, like things like surf tabs and other things inside of VR headsets. It's kind of our plan right now. Awesome. That's really cool. And so, you know, given that, that you also have the, the newsletter going, and I'm sure that, you know, you've seen tons of tons of different things. What are some of your favorite VR or even non-VR like apps, tools that you've, you know, downloaded and really loved recently? Yeah. Um, so recently, the best VR, I guess, narrative piece that I've seen is um, Dreams of O, which is by Felix and Paul. Uh, it was just on the Samsung Gear and 
they're just so great at storytelling in VR. And I think a lot of people haven't mastered that yet. And they're increasingly becoming leaders in the space. For interactive content, I'm a sucker for like weird VR things, uh, weird VR experiences. To date, I still love Kabibo, who's this virtual reality artist and the different products that he's released. He did this content called a piece called Loon, which is supposed to kind of be like you're in a dream and you can make anything that you want in this dream and kind of you're supposed to relax in it. And I find it very soothing and, and I just really like that piece. I'm not a huge gamer, but I love the zombie shooting games. Um, they just like it's uh, gets my heart race up and I enjoy it. I also played Left 4 Dead when I was uh, younger. Those are kind of the, the apps that I'm most enjoying right now. I think there's going to be a lot of cool social stuff that comes out this year. Pluto VR is a social communication tool. And I think that what they're doing is like really spot on in terms of how we should be thinking about the future of communication. Like instead of doing phone calls or Skype, doing uh, something within Pluto and it just being like more like one to better one to one communication is really interesting to me with VR. Which, which headset do you tend to turn to to use the most? I like the fact that mobile VR is more portal. Um, I think the, the Daydream team really knocked it out of the park. Like what they did with Daydream is so, so well done. It's like beautiful and it feels immersive with the controller. Um, it just allows you to do more things than like what Samsung Gear provided. But the Vive is obviously, it's just the, the most high-end uh, immersive content that you're going to get. But the problem with the Vive is that it's really out of reach for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, only a small subset of people can try it or have it in their homes. And then it's also really expensive to try. And so increasingly, I find myself trying to, like, try more mobile applications because that's going to be the thing that um, takes off first. Yeah, absolutely. And so along those lines, do you have any recommendations on, like, great content that you've come across? It could be, like, a VR videos, blog posts, books, anything like that? Yeah, um, actually, there's quite a few books on VR. Uh, one of my really good friends, Jack Donovan, who works at Iris VR, just came out with a book about like how to start programming for VR, which is I think is really interesting. There's other books like How to Get It, like How to Something Virtual Reality by Tony Parisi, which is another one. And it kind of gives you a few examples, uh, really easy examples that you can start building for VR. And I think like the more that you try and build for VR, the easier that you can understand like how it all works and, and like what it means. And I think anyone who's interested in getting into the medium should just like try and build a really simple app. And it kind of gives you a better understanding around like the technical complexities of it. Obviously, all things VR and doing like I've been doing the weekly newsletter for almost two years now, which is just kind of crazy. Oh, there's also a Twitter list on all things VR. So if you go to twitter.com, uh, all things VR, you just follow the list around VR. That's how I get the majority of content for all things VR and look at it like at least once a day. And um, those are it's like 100 ish people who work in the industry, talk about the industry and are really focused on the industry. Cool. That's awesome. We'll definitely link to All Things VR so people can subscribe to the newsletter and follow along. But uh, we'll also also have those other sources up for, for people to check out. Cool. Thank so you. do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? So increasingly the one that I've been focused around and I'm still trying to formulate like how exactly to explain it. But I think that we're doing a disservice to virtual reality and augmented reality by separating the two industries. We need to start thinking about them as one industry. They're just different features of one another. 
because anything, any advancements that happen within VR also affect AR because of size of technology, headsets. The reason why VR is happening now and AR isn't, so to speak, is because people are willing to put on a headset to like have a shorter experience, like have a out of this world experience, so to speak. But with AR, you're supposed to be wearing it all the time and it's technically supposed to replace your computer uh, or your, and your phone. And so people aren't willing to like, like wear some big bulky thing right now. And so if you think about VR headsets, Headsets uh, as they get smaller, that also impacts how, like, what AR technologies or glasses or whatever it is that we use. And so I think, in general, like separating them and being like AR is going to be bigger than VR is not the right way to look at it. It's like creating competitiveness when actually, like, if we thought of them more as one, then we could advance the industry a lot faster and we save a lot of time from confusing consumers because a lot of consumers are like, wait, do I care about VR? Or do I care about AR? And actually, you should care about both. I'm hoping to have some more solid thoughts around this area in the coming weeks because uh, it's just something that's been really bothering me lately. Yeah, absolutely. I always wondered why there was such a separation between AR and VR because, you know, I, I sort of also had the same sort of opinion that they're just they're just different feature sets of the same industry and that at some point they're going to come back together. Um, exactly. Just not sure when. Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, Sophia, I really appreciate having you on the show. It was amazing getting to, to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.